Hello, Internet. This is Yes, the Insight Calling. I'm Ewan Spence. And I'm Monty Moncrief. And this is a chat over coffee about 10,000 Eurovision songs every year. Yes, it's a chat over coffee, so we're going to talk about things that we haven't talked about yet, so we can't put them in the opening. Yes, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Welcome to another chat over coffee as the summer sun continues to bathe the United Kingdom in its powerful radiative light so we can enjoy these months between the Eurovision Song Contest finishing and the start of the on-season in September. But of course... Just because there's no Eurovision doesn't mean there's no song. That's true throughout the year. And to talk about this delightful phenomenon that many of us in the community know about, but many of us might not think about, I'm joined by someone who knows a lot about this subject. Monty Moncrief. A lot of people will have heard your podcast and your writings of Eurovision, but for everybody else, set the scene of where you are in this community. Oh, gosh. Well, I've been a Eurovision fan for, like, ever. Um, and I've been around, I guess, in the Eurovision internet-verse for a decade or so. I've been writing um, annually for Phil's site on Europe, doing previews of uh, the songs and also reporting on the rehearsals. Um, but for the past three years now, we've also had the podcast, uh, me and my podcast partner, Matt, Baker, um, Second Cherry, uh, where we look back at the national finals and we pick a song from several of them to put together for an alternative Eurovision contest, the Second Cherry Song Contest, giving songs a second bite of the cherry, those from national finals that we think were worthy of better success but didn't make it to the Eurovision stage. And this is why I wanted to bring you in here, because I want to talk about national finals to talk about songs because there are far more songs than what happens in the crawling of the credits at the start and the end of saturday night i always like to work backwards here and these are rough numbers they do change every year but we get one winner every year we get 26 songs in the final we get 40-ish appearing in may through the televised semi-finals and the automatic qualifiers to the grand final maybe 200 of those have appeared in the the national finals which broadcaster who's having a competition to select song selects a song so there's about 200 there all told making onto those televised rounds across europe there's about 800 songs you count up the submissions from the delegations publicly saying how many they've received you get about 10,000 songs every year and those 10,000 songs i think make my eurovision because for me eurovision is really the focus has always been on the song first that music that that sort of experience of discovering music across the continent and the only connecting factor is the people who put this in think it could win eurovision and that could be from ska from rock from ballads from spoken word across the entire genre and every year i just get this I don't get the playlist. We have to work hard to get the songs in the playlist, but I get this lovely sampler that's not filtered out by big business or designed to keep me listening for advertising. But we have all of these songs. 
but you know, I think you're right. I, I like that idea that it's you know it's not filtered. It's not who you know record companies think are going to do well. Um, it is people often just you know putting in their own recordings, um, and it does. If you're a Eurovision fan and then you like to obsess, so you know you watch the semi-finals, and then this is kind of like the next layer, if you like, the watching the competitions that choose the songs and seeing what the also rans were, and it gives you like a sort of a mini song contest in. Well, I think there were 26 national finals this year of the 40 or so entries that we had. Um, so it is it's it's like extending the 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 party if you like and we should point out here that you don't have to listen to these to be a fan you can be the greatest fan of eurovision on one saturday night and we absolutely welcome you into this community but this is just a chance to have a, a little bit more um, a little bit more of that experience of, of what's coming up next what does this sound like and it's just it just increases, it's just this this greater tapestry if you want to explore it, if you have the time to explore it as well, because it does suddenly give you a lot more to do on, on the Saturday nights in January, February and March. Absolutely. And I, I absolutely agree with you there. You know, every Eurovision fan is a valid Eurovision fan. You know, we're no greater fans because we spend our um, winter months pouring over songs that most people will never hear again. Um, it, but it is, if, if you're, you know, if you like to delve down into a topic or a subject, or if you're, you know, slightly obsessive fan like, like, like myself... It, it is, it just gives you that little bit extra, that little bit more, and it gives you the excitement of the build-up. It also gives you the frustration when a song that is absolutely perfect for Eurovision gets knocked out. And that's really the essence of having a second chance competition. That's the very reason that we do it in the first place, to give those songs a, a bit of a new lease of life. And, you know, also for our own geeky interests as well. All told, out of all the national finals, out of all the songs that didn't make it to the song contest, name one that would have been your surefire winner, Monty. Safe in the knowledge that you can never be proved wrong. <laughs> it would have been uh, La Revolución Sexual by La Casa Azul for Spain in 2008. Um, it, I mean, it, it actually only came third in the national final behind um, Rodolfo Le Chiquile Cuatro with Bailar El Chiqui Chiqui. But anyway, it only came third in the national final. But had it got to Eurovision, it would have been an absolute winner, I think. 2008 for Spain. It's not going to be win, but I still think Jordan Clark's freaks for the United Kingdom would have done a lot, lot better than we did in 2019. Well, that became a big viral hit afterwards. Was it through TikTok or was it through, I don't know, some viral platform? It's become huge since. The Nightcore version where people do the pitch shifting and, and, and doing it up again. And it was right in the middle of the greatest showman period and was dressed as that. Um so maybe, not, I don't think it would have won, but I do think that was a huge missed opportunity. And again, there's no way you can prove me wrong. This is the great thing about mm -hmm. being a pundit about national final songs. Watching Eurovision back in even like 2010, 2011, it was still really hard to get to listen to these songs if you weren't in the country. 
in the pre-internet streaming days, it was very difficult. I've been listening to National Finals since 1997, um, and it was my first was Melody Festival, and um, unsurprisingly, it's the one that I think if anybody's watched just one National Final outside of the the country that they live in, it's probably most likely to be Melody Festival in Sweden. Which is Sweden selection, yeah, yeah, because it's such a big event in Sweden. It's you know the 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 shows are consistently amongst the top 10 TV shows in the year um, in Sweden in terms of audience share. And it also um, has the same language of Eurovision as well. There's heats which are like the semi-finals, there's voting from two sides. It feels comfortable if you've watched Eurovision but never actually taken, decided to go a little bit further into the selection process. Yeah, and because it's a, a big TV show, there's a big budget. So, you know, the show has, um, you know, a certain quality to it in terms of the, the production values, etc. And so if you're coming as a novice, it's much easier to attune to something which looks like Eurovision. Melfest was the first one I watched, 1997, and it was... Before the internet, so I had a friend in Sweden, um, a friend of a friend, I, I met her um, through that, and she used to send the VHS of Melfest over. It was only one show back then, it was just the final. So she used to send it over, along with a big envelope, This the cutest thing, a big envelope of press cuttings with you know, a, a warning, do not open this before you've watched the show, because there were spoilers in it. But she would send it over and give me a sort of a flavour of, I think, you know, what the what the, the press were saying as well, and the, the extent of the coverage there. And so that, you know, we had that for a few years before we started being able to stream it. But I think, you know, internet streaming has certainly um, advanced interest in national finals because it's much more um, accessible. But I remember watching streaming in the, you know, the early 2000s and it would be the size of a postage stamp on the screen. <laughs> was tiny and it would be buffering like mad and it was almost as frustrating to watch as it was um enjoyable to watch because you know it, right through until i think really the last 10 years you know streaming quality wasn't great so you had to really persevere with things but in those early years as well my friend had a satellite t a tv like a, a, an international satellite dish so we used to go around and we used to be able to watch whichever of the programs weren't geoblocked or weren't you know um uh weren't uh you didn't need a a, a, a password or whatever a subscription to watch them um so we used to watch like you know the the balkan finals we used to watch um the albanian final we used to watch you know whatever we could get our hands on really um and just try and piece together that tapestry of you know what happens before eurovision happens you know all of the activity and the programs and the competitions that are going on all over the country that you know most people wouldn't know a thing about um you know if you're not a diehard eurovision fan but it also gave us that insight into you know, we we would read in like the fan um, magazines. You know what had happened in some of these national finals, but you know there was it was very difficult to get hold of any material, uh, get hold of any songs. Never mind video performances uh, of what happened there. So uh, it, it's lovely, really, that the internet has um, broadened that out and given more people the opportunity to just very easily click and stream in great quality sometimes. 
But why is it a good thing? Why is it this so much information, so much music? Why is it so good for everybody involved? Well, I think it's it, it, it's good if you like to get down to the detail. I, um, it's a little bit overwhelming, um, I think, um, for some people. Even I, when you know we're looking at the national final season, if I've missed like a couple of, I don't know, Lithuanian heats, and I've suddenly got like twenty-four songs to plough through, I'm like, oh my god, this feels like such a chore. And this is a passion of mine. So maybe you know there there is too much. You, I really feel as though you've got to keep on top of it during the national final season. I have to really work to keep on top of it. But of course for us, I'm not. I'm not just watching for enjoyment and for pleasure. I'm watching as research because that's when we do our initial notes for Second Cherry, which we then go back and revisit to pick the songs that we're going to shortlist, uh, and then to pick the one that we're going to choose as the Second Cherry from each country. But you know that that is it's a work period for me, I guess, as well as a pleasure period. Does that change your level of enjoyment? Um, well, I still enjoy it. I'm still, you know, there's still a passion there. There's still, uh, um, you know, there's, there, there's a there's more of a reason for doing it. I think, you know, if um, if we weren't doing second cherry, maybe some of the national finals would pass me by a little bit more. But you know, we're we're really we're watching to identify songs that um, are either so good. They need to be heard again, or the presentation is so ridiculous they need to be seen again. And there is both. <laughs> Let's be yes, honest. Th there are, yeah, we can come to those in a minute. But that also means that as you're watching the heats, you will at some point watch the song that will be going to the Eurovision Song Contest. With your pundit hat on, how well do you do? Oh, I mean, it's difficult to say that. I mean, there are some that you just know. I mean, do you mean how well do we do on choosing the one that's going to win and go to Eurovision or on which song is going to be the Eurovision winner? Because, of course, not all the Eurovision contenders are going to come from a national final. Although a little bit from pile A, but also a little bit from pile B of, oh, I think that one's going to do very well and win the national final and go through, but... We thought it was rubbish when we heard it four weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious uh, song from the category of that's the Eurovision winner as soon as you hear it was Alexander Reback in 2009 for Norway. I mean, the moment I saw that, and I'd, I'd listened to the songs on my headphones as I was pottering around, um, and it, it had stood out, but as soon as I saw it with the performance he gave it, I was like, that's the Eurovision winner, without a doubt. And I think the same with um, Lorraine as well. Although I actually thought Lorraine's song in the 2011 Melfest, My Heart Is Refusing Me, could have been a Eurovision winner, but it's not one that they chose. We did have it for Second Cherry, though. Um, so... There, there are occasional gems like that. But I think as well, you know, by the time you... A song might stand out absolutely a mile in its own national final. And even if it wins, you then put it up against very different competition at Eurovision. So, you know, it may be the best in a field, but it's not the best in this field over here when you get it in among uh, a bunch of other songs um but it, it is interesting i think when you have as well 
lots of returning artists in national finals. I mean, you know, tons of returning artists in a national final like Melfest. Um, but also many in, you know, national finals like the Albanian um, Festival de is, And also San Remo, which I know isn't technically a, a, a national final, but it is where the Eurovision song comes from. Um, there are, I think when there are returning artists, they're the ones who get the attention from the Eurovision fans before that show happens. So they're the ones that you'll maybe on the lookout for. So sometimes your your view may be a little skewed because you're obviously going to pay a little bit more attention to artists that you know. Um, other over you know newcomers etc they they're just going to get more attention and so sometimes you know you might miss the 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 sheer brilliance of a, a song by somebody you've never heard of because you've been listening out more for the songs by artists that you're already familiar with um but i i think that's something that you know happens throughout eurovision as well if, you know we we do tend to to listen to or vote for something we're more familiar with that's why artists go out and do the, the, the preview rounds and try to get their song heard by as many people as possible. Do you think any of your opinion on a song at Eurovision is clouded by your experience of them through the national finals? Can you detach yourself and remember that for a lot of Eurovision fans, they won't see the song until the semi-final of the final for men. It's the first time there and you've listened to it thousands potentially yeah i think this is always a challenge for us as eurovision fans where we follow a song's journey um and not just through the the national selections we also follow it very closely through the rehearsals at eurovision you know we pick apart what we're allowed to see of those performances um and it, it is you, your judgment does get clouded because you've got this idea in your head oh that song's going to do brilliantly and as we know the presentation once it gets to Eurovision and you know factors like the running order etc all play a big part so there are definitely songs that get to Eurovision that have been brilliantly staged in a national final and then they just fall apart when they get to Eurovision the staging just doesn't work because of the tweaks they've made or you know the setting doesn't work or the camera angle doesn't work um but then there are other songs that you know you kind of you see them and they they you know maybe scrape through a national final or you know you think they have potential and then they get to the Eurovision stage and you're like wow they've done an absolutely amazing job with that so I think there's it, it Yes, it's kind. Of, it, it is difficult to divorce yourself from that, and you're you're still clinging to your ideas of you know what you think is going to do well. I think when we look at two thousand and eighteen, and um, when we all heard Netta's song for the first time, and it was like, oh yeah, that's going to win. And then we got to see Eleni Ferreira um, come and do that killer uh, rehearsal um, of a song that you know, with people were like, yeah, that's all right, but it's not great. But she took it to another level through the performance. And so, you know, we we got a, a, an absolute Eurovision classic out of that. And we were all like, oh my God, she's going to win, she's going to win. And then, of course, you remembered that people were seeing Netta for the first time on the night as well, and the whole impact of that. So, yeah, it is a, you, you, you do have to be, you do have to think in perspective about it, I think. Yeah, and if you just jump back to 2018, you also have something like Scandi Love from Ida Maria up in the Nor Norwegian final. Wonderful song in the studio. 
<laughs> kind of fell apart uh, with a very excitable and exuberant performance that Ida just absolutely loved doing, but it's just like, yeah, okay, let's just enjoy it here at the final. That's not going to go any further. Well, that's the song that was the trigger for me to write the article that's, I think, somewhere still on uh, ESC Insight about the 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 about why songs don't get through their national finals but if they had got through they would do so much better on the Eurovision stage um, and I did find that article before I saw the mess of Ida Maria on stage but, but it was a glorious mess, mess. Oh, it, it was absolutely fantastic I loved it but it was a mess you know let's be honest but it's so, absolutely a song like that is just glorious when you hear it in the audio and then translating to the... Of course, had she got to Eurovision, she would have had to do something much more measured with that because she would have had to rehearse it within an inch of its life. And, and remember the not, camera angles. <laughs> absolutely. And not, not have a cast of, like, 47 people on stage with her. A lot of times you get the feeling they know a song's not going to make it to Eurovision, so they just overload the production with more than the requisite maximum of six people on stage, careful with your backing vocal counts and everything. Ina Maria then was never going to qualify. So they just went, you know what? Flood the stage with people. Put everybody on. Absolutely. And I love it when a national broadcaster does that because, you know, if you're going to put 10 songs up for Eurovision, for example, nine of them aren't going to get there. And actually the, 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 the majority of your performances that you're staging are for the entertainment of the national and now the international um, audience. Um, so go all out, you know, present those songs you know in a really good light and I think Melfest does that you know because it's got the budget uh, I think you know um, NRK in Melody Grand Prix in Norway does that because it's got the budget because these are big TV shows um, and I understand that you know not every broadcaster is going to have the budget to do that but you know even if a song doesn't have a chance of getting to Eurovision it's made special through that three-minute performance that it's going to get on TV. So I love it when, you know, broadcasters chuck some money at it and, you know, give it all the staging. Absolutely, why not? Champion your champion your competitors. Was it Torin Betan in, in one of the, the Norway shows that just had a, an, a children's choir of about 50 kids just suddenly yeah. appearing? It, it, you know, there's a key change, there's a rise of course, and where did those 50 children come from? <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And Norway, I think, does that more than others um, because they, you know, they clearly don't have the restrictions that Eurovision has. You know, I mean, if you've, if you've made a huge impact with a cast of thousands, then that maybe is difficult to trim that down. And I think we saw that with Albania this year as well. Um, you know, Brunella, um, her performance in the national final was really impactful. And then she had to trim it down to to six people I mean you know it, she changed the the whole feel of that performance for various different ways and so you know there are other factors at play there but the impact of having a big dance troupe on stage with her in the national final was was huge oh. and and Norway do that a little bit like the American song contest actually you know they they have a a six person limit on the actual performers or the group the entrance but then you can chuck as many dancers with it um as you want and it'd be interesting to see you know whether eurovision ever went that way i suspect not because then you've got you know unwieldy numbers of delegation sizes um but it would be it certainly made for a more interesting showing parts but when you think about it 
with 10,000 songs being submitted every year, 9,999 of them are not going to win Eurovision. Absolutely. And so, you know, if they, if they can get a moment, um, you know, on their national broadcasters, I mean, that you know, the publicity that that, that, that gives them. I mean, this is why we're seeing um, in a number of countries much more local record company or local music industry involvement in the national finals. I mean, Melfest has had that for a long time. I mean, you know, a lot of artists to see their platform as being Melfest, use it as, you know, their Melfest entry is going to be the first single from their new album, for example, or you UMK in, in Finland, um, maybe less so this year, but certainly, you know, in recent years, they've used it very much as a platform for new and emerging artists, as has some, you know, something like Estilal in, in, in Estonia. It's a, it's a key platform by which local artists can get their, their music seen on TV. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like that. I like that kind of tie-in with the industry. I mean, I guess you could argue, although we don't have a national final in the UK at the moment, you know, the record company involvement is a route that the UK has certainly gone down um, to, to choose the, the Eurovision entrance. And it's taken a couple of iterations to find the right mix, the right record label, the right artist and so on. And people always just go, oh, let's just do Melfast. I said, well, yeah, you can't just go straight to that because you need to find 28 potential songs that could do Eurovision Song Contest. Let's just find one first with Sam and (laughs) go from there and just build up. And remember that Melfast, you've got all the media on site. So it's it's essentially a soap opera for three months. You've got all the record labels. An artist who isn't at Melody Festival and is not going to release a song in Sweden between January, February and March. It would just get lost. They will stick it in November or they will wait until April or May and go from there. Uh, and also I national will... finals aren't the only way for selecting songs, but we're focusing on this now because it's the music and the songs. I always have a little chuckle at those people who say, well, the UK should just do Melfest because, you know, there was a couple of years that the BBC engaged fans in um, shortlisting, I think was the term they called it, the the Eurovision entries. Um, I, and I was, um, I was selected to do that one year and literally I got... I got a, a link to watch, I think, something like 30 or 40 songs. And it was really clear that the BBC were just using this to pre-filter the songs that had been sent in by the public. Because there were songs in my batch that were clearly ineligible for Eurovision. So, you know, they hadn't been filtered out. There was somebody in my batch who, there was about... a a minute of somebody having a crack on a stylophone um, and also a minute of somebody singing I love Eurovision a cappella. <laughs> it's just like for goodness sake when you hear the quality of some of the, the songs that are put in open selection you really see why it would be an absolute struggle to fill a national final of a, a number of quality songs and if you look back at the national finals that you know the the uk has um organized over the past decade or so they've not been brilliant quality you know we've really struggled to find a selection of songs that stand scrutiny and le- this isn't just an issue with the bbc in the united kingdom yes there are national finals that are incredibly well established as we've talked about here where the record labels are happy to get involved where artists want to get in there but 
there are also national finals where the record labels are not involved, where it's quite difficult to get the artist. UMK for the last two years up in Finland has got has had a great portfolio of artists on there, both from newcomers, established uh, and valedictory performances. But you just go back three or four years and, you, you know, the broadcaster Wiley was struggling to get names in. It's just like, well, we can get one person coming in and that's about it. So... You know, that quality filter is there across all of Europe. Uh, you and I have listened to some some of the broadcasters just do publish out the long list of 80 or 100, and we have listened to them, and it's not a unique phenomenon to the UK. <laughs> but there again, those people are creating music. Those people think, yeah. this is great. I'm enjoying the creative process, and I want to share it. And I would never want to take that away from anybody. No, and there is uh, a, a certain kind of joy of watching some of the, you know, the Belarusian or the Moldovan open auditions where oh. you get people just coming on and having a crack at something and you're like, it bless you. Bless yeah. you for trying. And, and they create moments. But... Um, oh, I cannot remember her name, but there was one in the Moldovan selection that didn't make it through this year. Um it's not Catty Love. It's um, oh, Miss Miss Catty Love. Yes, it was Catty Love. Yeah. Yes, a, a song that in a million years doesn't fit with a televised family <laughs> broadcast in May, but got noticed around the world for a, a different offbeat musical quality, and it was just like that's discovery, that's creativity. It's not necessarily the three minute cookie cutter that many people think Eurovision would be, but you found fans, you found a community. Yes, <laughs> that was a little bit bizarre, that one in particular. But I think, yeah, I mean, uh, there's something really in the way that the, the, well, is it just the younger fans or is it the newer fans or, you know... Is we never the, had that opportunity the, 10 years ago. No, we didn't. We didn't. And I think there's something lovely in the way that people have embraced it. You see it most on Twitter um, and you get also people tweeting along with national finals. I mean, like hundreds and thousands of people, you know, not like masses and masses, mass audience, but it's these really engaged people who are absolutely, they know what's coming up in the national final. They've researched the artist. You know, they have a better knowledge of the, the who's taking part in it than, than me. And I do a bloody podcast about it. Um, you know, so, and it's lovely to see that, you know, the way that people are um, championing um, these artists and tweeting along. Um, and it's really lovely to follow. And some, some of it's a little tongue in cheek. Some of it's a little, you know, um, sarcastic humor um but it's done with love as well it's not just complete it's not just putting people down online there's a there's a humor in you know watching some of the national finals but also i mean you know if something ridiculous is happening in a national final it's fine to say this is ridiculous uh, you know and it does give us some of the the moments i mean you know we've featured some of those moments in in cherry over the years um as well as you know the songs that were like wow that was brilliant it really deserved to go and didn't get there you know with this there's a there's a there's a place for cherishing the um the bazaar yeah i love what about some songs that we love that haven't made it through where are the ones that we like that are our go-to songs because there's a lot of national final songs that i've listened to well first of all i have my own sort of playlist of about 30 or 40 songs every year as well but they're also songs that have become songs that are on my 
absolutely love playlist. You know, those 50 or 60 songs that are, if mm -hmm. this is the playlist I can take to a desert island, these are what's going on. And there's quite a few national final songs that have made it onto that. So uh, I asked you for three, and we're going to do three each. So one from the last year or two, one from the last decade, and one from the entire discography of Eurovision <laughs> national final songs, which I suspect is probably in the seven figures. Oh, it must be. Absolutely. And of course, I not being able to follow a direction, I've not willed it down to three. I, I've got a, at least a couple from each year. <laughs> okay, right then. So you do one first, and I can sort of put mine in to sort of space it out then. You go first, Monty. Uh, are we, recent are we going for the Let's recent go for recent ones, ones first. Yeah. So I've got two, and they're two of our Euro uh, two of our second cherry winners. Um, one is Siren Song by Maruv, which won the national final, and then withdrew and then all of the hullabaloo happened and Ukraine ended up not going to um, Eurovision that year but I think Siren Song by Maruv it was another potential Eurovision winner. And if you think about the the run of you know placings that Ukraine has managed that would have been, been part of that run Oh absolutely you know it would have been there or thereabouts you know they did a great performance in the national final and we know that ukraine can stage a song so had siren song actually got to eurovision it would have done some serious business i think okay recently i actually have two here as well so i've went over the rain but we're fine monty <laughs> um and these are two that they both have bits of the song that have just phrases have locked into my mind um and I don't think you would get the two that I've got here in a million years, Monty, because the first one is Ballerina by Malu Pritz. Oh. Because that, oh, I'm in love, that hook going into that chorus just lives rent-free in my head. There mm -hmm. is something about that bit of the song that just fires off every bit of dopamine in my brain. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to go with that. I know it's not what I normally listen to, but it doesn't matter. I like that. I'm going to keep delight. listening to it. That's the delight of Eurovision. And, you know, because it gives you exposure to songs and genres you might not normally listen to. And that's multiplied by, you know, X, Y, Z, however many factors, when you go into national finals. Because there's so many more songs and so many more genres that, you know, you're exposed to that you just wouldn't hear otherwise. Yeah. And this is where my second one comes in as well from the recent national finals. Out of Air from Norway. Dietrich oh. and Emil Solitangen. Again, that whole three minutes just clicks for me. Wow, okay. I mean, I, I, I can see what you mean. Not to my taste, but that's the beauty of it. There's something for everybody. So my other one from the recent years is Cicciolina by Erika Wickman, uh, which was in the Finnish selection. It, was, um, it didn't win, um, but it's the year that also... The contest was cancelled as well. So um, it's a, I mean, who thought, you know, a song about a, a Hungarian porn star turned Italian politician would do the business? But it just captured the imagination in the national final season that year. And both uh, Cicciolina and Siren Song uh, were winners of Second Cherry in their years. So what about if we go further back then, Monty? Last decade. So when national finals have been relatively easy to access. 
Okay, well, I'm sl- I mean, one of the songs slightly more than a decade is one I've already mentioned, which is La Revolución Sexual by La Casa Azul from Spain in 2008. Again, I just think this would have absolutely done the business. Um, and I think maybe if we're looking at the last decade or so, again, a song I've already mentioned, which would be uh, Lorraine, uh, My Heart is Deceiving Me. Uh, my heart is refusing me sorry the year before she won Melfest with Euphoria I think that my heart is refusing me is a better song I think the presentation in the national final could have been better but I think they could have worked on that for um, Eurovision but yeah an absolutely cracker of a song for me the one that stands out the one that is on my playlist for the ages that playlist is not just Eurovision songs it's of all time would be Finland 2016's Good Enough from Mm -hmm. Annika and Kimo because that song it's a power ballad it's emotional um it just it's that overblown bombastic Jim Steinman style rock and roll that that just that when you when you're thinking about stuff that's going to be in my wheelhouse that's it right there the presentation in the national final with the the mirrors and the staging and the different facets and as you they're showing different emotions in the song they're showing different reflections of themselves on stage just hits the cinephile in me and the actual official music video is a three minute 30 second scandi noir thriller set to music and those things normally take about two or three years to play out so to have one in three minutes with all that music it's just absolutely fabulous i mean chemo bomb the year before done all for victory was which was just this over-the-top julius caesar gladiatorial combat <gasps> oh gosh i remember that and, and, mean, that, and it was good don't get me oh, wrong but then that came whole to- national final was just I mean, it was completely out there. It's the, one of the best national files I've ever seen. Absolutely everything was just something else. And then, and then they come back with good enough. And, you know, even now when people go like, you know, when I want to talk about the storytelling power of music and a video, that's my go-to. That, that, that's one for the ages for me. I need to watch the video for that because I obviously I, I'm very used to national final performances, but maybe not the video. If I'm um, going back, um, are we going back to the beginning now, or going back to old days? Yes, <laughs> let's do that. Let's yeah. go back further. So I try to think of as you know what songs maybe have made a huge impact outside of the national finals. And the most obvious one I thought of was um, from Sweden in 1973. Um, a foursome that we know very well, but at that were point... Were they a foursome still, then, or were they just a threesome then in 1973? They were a foursome. They were a foursome that we know very well, but at that time they weren't known by their initials. They were known as Björn, Benny, Anietta and Annie Fried. And they had the song Ring Ring in the Melody Festival and in 1973, which, of course, everybody knows because it's a massive hit for ABBA. And and just to carry on that phrasing, if we go for the year after as well, if we go for 1975, ABBA were asked to come back again, weren't they? Oh, were they? Yeah, but they said, no, we're not coming back again. You don't go back again, but we'll give you a song. So this... This is up there on my list. It's not high, but it's one to remember. You have Bangy Boomerang from Sven and Lotta. Oh, of course. Yes. Which ended up ABBA covering their own song, Complicated Route, on one of their ABBA albums as well. It's 
That's right, yes. So, yes, those national finals. I'm going to stay in the 70s for mine. Um, long-term listeners will now know what is coming up and what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be another one as well, don't worry. But I have to once more draw attention to the fruit-eating bears from the United Kingdom, 1978, and door in my face. This brash punk song in the middle of of, of the Albert Hall and gentle ballads <laughs> from the likes of Labby Sifri and Michael Aspel doing the presentation and everything. And then the BBC went, oh, we need, presumably, <laughs> presumably Light Entertainment's went, we need something for the kids. Uh, and they've just, <laughs> well, who's big just now? No, not the Sex Pistols. We're, we're the BBC, we can't go there. Um, I didn't go anywhere in the national final. But I have this lovely thought that in an alternate universe in 1978 the bbc went you know what we're just going to send punk to the eurovision song contest <laughs> and, and we didn't we didn't uh who did we send instead in 78 um coco is the bad old days uh defense rests um i think that was the worst performing uk eurovision song to up to that point in history but there we go um cheryl baker would come back later and Never be your first screens come may ever ever again i have another one to squeeze in as well and actually this isn't technically a national final song but it's widely believed that this was one of the songs in the running for spain in 1986 and again just thinking of the the big global impact it's um hijo de la luna by Macano, which a massive hit covered by you know loads and loads and loads of artists and i just think you know that was said to be one of the ones that this, the broadcaster was considering but they went for um cadillac instead um and um hijo de la luna i think could have been a, a eurovision winner had it got there although technically not in a national final but just really wanted to highlight you know how many songs are considered for eurovision in in the many different ways and never get there very few songs get immortality um and remembered two or three years later let alone 50 or 60 years and it's one of the reasons i love going back into the older national finals because these were clearly songs or artists that had got some traction in their career that they'd they'd got to the point where they were considered of national broadcast part of public service broadcasting getting that bigger stage and so many of them are just nobody can remember them hmm. Until you have people like us who just go through the list and goes, well, okay, right, let's just go back and find out what <laughs> happened back in, like, Tony Marshall in 1976 in Germany. Um, you know, what, whatever happened to that bloke that's on Karamea for Sweden back in 2005? Seven. <laughs> <laughs> See, sometimes you do get remembered. <laughs> but, yeah, these are these lovely little three-minute pockets of, of history, of hopes and dreams, and, you know, Eurovision's not just the one song that wins every year. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's one of the things that we want to do with um, Second Cherry is to to highlight that. And, you know, we we were doing Second Cherry for 10 years just as a, a live show, as a party for our friends, and then, you know, a, a live show in a in a, in, in a um, in a pub. Um, now we've added the podcast in, so it's a real, it's a really nice opportunity for Matt and I to reflect on 
the national finals and reflect on a, a wider range of songs. It's not just about the one that we choose for um, the to to represent that country in Second Cherry, the song contest. We actually get you know uh, uh, a bit of time each week on the podcast to discuss some of the um, the the other songs that were there and discuss some of the the other elements of, that were happening in the national final. It's almost like you've created a national final system for your own national final system. <laughs> well, you know, as Eurovision fans, we'll you know we'll make something geeky and creative out of the the most niche aspect of the show, <laughs> and we love all of you for that. So, Second Cherry Podcast, we've mentioned it enough times, but we've not told people where to find it, apart from searching an Apple podcast for Second Cherry. That's quite an easy one. But uh, for the more detailed finding it online or finding it in other applications, where do we get yep, the podcast? So, you can find the website is secondcherry.vision. That's secondcherry.vision. Uh, and you can find it there. Uh, we're on Twitter at Second Cherry, on Instagram at second underscore cherry, and on Facebook at Second Cherry Podcast. Lovely. There we go. Monty, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. I thought we should just have, as well, a little raise of our coffee cups as a tribute to something which is now defunct, but actually was, for many people, the first way that they started seeing national finals. And it's the, the Eurovision.tv's Octoshape player. Oh, that for, for I some remember years Allowed us to watch national finals. Some we could watch again, some we could only watch live. But it was like the precursor to broadcasters having the quality and standards to be able to you know use their own channels for it and it was the ebu encouraging um broadcasters to make their shows available to an international audience nowadays many people will remember that very fondly despite all of its technical hitches nowadays it's easy to plug into youtube or you've got streaming services that started with iplayer and everything and you know you've got video codecs computer code that allows streaming but of course when back in those days everybody was making it up part of the ebu remit was to test these sort of things octoshape was one of those it is a you know when you come back to write the history of live streaming not just at eurovision but of everything i wonder how much octoshape fits in yeah interesting and not necessarily octoshape directly but also the lessons from it that were shared Mm -hmm. around all the other broadcasters that allowed us to bring up six or seven hd streams on our desktop every Saturday um, and occasionally Thursday as well, depending on the national final set up. Thank you very much, Estonia. And just enjoy all of this music from around the world and sharing it with everybody else. That's Eurovision in a nutshell, but for 12 months. Yeah, I've, I've come to that to a natural close. And it's just like, how do I ask How do I ask for the guitars now? And Monty's going, how do I ask for the guitars now? Well done, you brought that into quite an early landing, Ewan. The guitars, I think. Yeah, that just about covers it. (laughs) This Eurovision chat over coffee was with Ewan Spence and Monty Moncrief. Find it more at www.escinsight.com, secondcherry.vision, and support us, patreon.com slash escinsight. And however you support Second Cherry? By listening to us. (laughs) 